in a town that's been, who's there to write to anyway? Hello and welcome to Gotham TV Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the upcoming TV show Gotham and the Connected DC Universe. It's Zero Year, episode 13, and I'm Derek, one of your hosts. Hello, and I'm John, your other host. Welcome back. Um, we'll be talking about uh, Gotham Central again this uh, this time. This is part four of our review series of the Gotham Central comic books. Um, we've got lots of news to talk about uh, as well. But first up, we want to give a bit of a shout out to the Gotham Addicts. Yeah, to, uh, certainly. To Candace and Sophia of the Gotham Addicts who joined us uh, for episode 11 of our show. Really good news. They got invited to the premiere of Gotham in New York with the cast and the creators. And obviously, for those people who are entering into the poster and sort of short trailer or movie competition. That's where you will end up if you are one of the lucky winners. Um, But it's great news for them that they have been invited... I think it was, it was uh, Donald Logue. from Donald Logue, yeah, yeah Donald Logue, who's um, play- to who's... attend the premiere, so it was great. Donald Logue, who's, who's playing Harvey Bullock in the in the TV show, he got in contact with them and invited them uh, invited them up to join him, just showing how much how much they've helped his career and helped him in, in the past on his previous shows and how excited he is for the fans of Gotham. Really good news for them. We know they're over the moon and we're we're delighted for them. So uh, yeah. Yeah, so if you guys uh, haven't heard episode 11, our interview with uh, with Candace and Sophie, Sophie of Gothamatics, um, go back and listen to it. It's, it's really good. Yeah, really, really pleased for them. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess it's on to the news. Big news this week was that Channel 5 in the UK have got the UK rights for Gotham. Mm-hmm. And they intend on airing that in the autumn, as far as we know, but there's no exact date, yeah. exact air date for we have, them. We have definite com- confirmation that it's going to be in the autumn. They haven't released a date yet, definitely. But, um, but yeah, we have, a, we have a UK broadcaster. And there's a current countdown going on. We've posted... A few of those up on our Facebook and Twitter feeds to this Monday, the 18th, when there will be a preview in the UK on Channel 5 of Gotham um, after the Big Brother episode. So that's really great news. Unfortunately, I suppose for ourselves in Ireland, in Dublin, the penetration of this channel is quite low. Uh, We would tend to get the BBC Channel 4 and UTV in Ireland that are well-known, very large channels in the UK. Channel 5 is one of the smaller ones in the UK, and so that their sort of scope and range in Ireland is much less than the other big four. But it's really good news because we do now know that this autumn we will be able to uh, watch it. Yeah, it's great news for us that we're able to watch it. And, you know, pretty much the, the penetration of Channel 5, as John said, is, is quite small in Ireland. Um, but most satellite customers have it and most customers who have Freeview satellites are able to are able to pick it up. So, you know, it's great for a lot of Irish people are able to pick it up. It would be better if it was an Irish broadcaster to get to a much wider audience. But we know that at least in the UK, it's a very big channel. Everybody has it on their TV service over there. So, so that's brilliant. Like it's really, really good, yeah, yeah. really good news. Um, we have seen uh, a post on RTE, our national broadcaster, on their website, um, alluding to the fact that they have 
got the rights for uh, for Gotham, which is quite interesting. But uh, we're still waiting on confirmation. We've we've asked the question of them to see if we can get confirmation. They did release their kind of weirdly in Ireland. They uh, they released their schedule for one of their channels uh, last Thursday, which was RTE One. Um, which gave all the detail of their upcoming programs for autumn and winter. But they haven't released their, their programming for RT2, which would generally have a lot more American programming, a lot more English programming on it. Um, we expect that that's probably going to be in the next week or so. So we'll probably have confirmation of, uh, of Gotham, hopefully, on an Irish broadcaster so everybody can see it and so all of our friends can watch it as well. Um, that the people that aren't lucky enough to be able to pick up Channel 5 on the TV are going to be able to pick it up there, which is great. It's been indicated to us that TV3, which is another broadcaster in Ireland, are also looking to, to pick the, um, the show up. So maybe um, that's been resolved now, and soon enough we'll find out uh, which of those two broadcasters was successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly uh, on their website, I think it was RT10 is the website. It was a, an article from June. It was as far yeah. back as June, which was really surprising. It kind of slipped through the net a bit. We yes. didn't spot it. Especially because we're trolling the internet looking for news. Absolutely. particularly We've got about Google this. alerts, yeah. all that kind of thing. Bizarrely, from June, tucked away on the RT10 website was this little um, article saying that they were getting Gotham. Mm-hmm. So that's still to be confirmed, however, yeah. but that's as much as we know so far. Yeah, but did you hear about the kind of battleground that was there for uh, for Gotham in the UK and about the, about the rights itself, where um, Channel 5 have apparently, the rumour is they paid half a million pounds wow. beating out the likes of Sky, which is owned by Fox Network in the US, or, or sorry, connected to the Fox Network in the US, beating out Channel 4, who have the rights for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter next year, and had the rights last year for, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Quite a huge coup for Channel Five, which again, you know, it's no disrespect to them. They're they're a fantastic channel who show a lot of programming, but they don't have as big a penetration as a, a channel like Channel Four or the or the Sky Suite of channels that are there. Great news from Channel Five, and we'll keep you posted um, for any more information that comes from them. But we're certainly looking forward to watching that this awesome on Channel 5. Yeah, yeah great to know we have something to tune into. Um, there's been a bit more Gotham news this week as well. Uh, it's been a good week for us. Um, we've uh, we got some more casting news this week. David Zayas, who I definitely know from, uh, from and you guys may know from Dexter. Um, he played Angelo Angel Batista, uh, the lead detective um, in, in Dexter. Um, he's been cast in Gotham to play Salvatore. The boss, Maroney. Um, lots of lots of, uh, of nicknames in there. Um, yeah, so, so Sal, Sal, Sal Maroney is quite a big character in the universe of Gotham. Yeah, certainly. I think we had alluded that he'd been played by Eric Roberts, Julia Roberts's I don't know, cousin, something mm-hmm. like that, some relation, um, in the Christopher Nolan uh, film The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly it gives a suggestion about the route that Gotham is going to take. Mm-hmm. Certainly... In season one, you've got Carmine Falcone already there. You have Fish Mooney, which mm-hmm. was a new uh, character created for the show. We don't know quite how long she may or may not survive, of course. <laughs> There's Oswald Cobblepot, who, of course, is in that whole underworld as well as yeah. a mobster and a criminal boss. And now we get David Zayas as... Sal Maroney. Yeah, yeah. So there's a real intent that we're going along the mafia route, certainly um, being 
maybe it's the baseline of of the criminality and, yeah. and the evil of Gotham, and you know you'll get these spikes of different criminals like the Penguin that are, are more heightened in that sense, or at some point the Riddler or Two Face or Joker. Yeah. And we'll have that Joker watch as we've promised. So... <laughs> yeah, like as as we discussed during the during the Dark Knight review, you know that is it is very much the 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 underground of Gotham is the mobsters. They are the seeds of all of the badness that happen in Gotham. I love the fact that it seems like they're starting the TV show with this baseline already there with this with this criminal with the criminals with their fingers and all the pies. Essentially, it's not just going to be the origin story by the looks of it. David Zayas, who's playing, uh, who's playing Sal Maroney, he's an older man. He's not. It's not him as as a fifteen year old. No. You know, um, Carmel Falcone is again uh, actor from The Wire, who's again not a fourteen year old guy who's coming up in the ranks. They're all already established mobsters in the city. Um, I like that idea. The only young one that's there is Oswald Cobblepot, who is the man who eventually will become the leader of. The even more evil criminal element within within Gotham, so it's a really good. And at the moment, he is the pretender ultimately to that crown. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So there's great uh, great casting news there, and certainly David Zayas in his work on Dexter is an actor that we've really enjoyed watching yeah. before. Certainly, we enjoyed him in Dexter. Yeah, he's um, definitely one of my favorite so characters in that show. It was as well. excellent yeah, really to. Good. It's excellent to hear some good casting again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you don't know anything about Sal Maroney, um, definitely recommend picking up Batman The Long Halloween. It's probably my favorite uh, Batman story or collected collected graphic novel, definitely. Um, it's essentially Sal Maroney has quite a significant role to play in the creation of Two-Face, uh, who, again, you'd remember from um, from uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. It's quite a quite a significant role and he's quite uh, quite central and pivotal, I suppose is the word I'm looking for. Excellent John's any I don't think that's the end of the Gotham news. I think news. that's the end of the Gotham news and yeah. I think really that's us moving on to the DC connected universe news. Yep. We really have to shorten that down as well because right. it's a mouthful. Ans- um, answers on a postcard and you may win the Matthew Fletcher penguin. Uh yeah, exactly. We could and it can't be the D C C U N yeah, no, let's not do that. Um, um, but, yeah, we need to shorten it down in some way. Maybe just other DC news. There you yeah, go. Okay. Can I win it? Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed to keep Matthew Damn Fletcher's it. painting now. <laughs> um, but in other DC news, I mean, it's almost a bit like an arms race at this stage between Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. it would seem. Is that, the way it's well, been for the last 60 years. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but this just seems a bit tit for tat, really. Um, kind of, they come out with potential slate of films rumored by Nicky Fink. Then Marvel are releasing their slate, and now you kind of get confirmation from DC of their slate. And all it is is dates on a sheet of paper. Yeah. There's no titles. There's absolutely no meat on the bone, so to speak. And it's <laughs> kind of like, okay, nine movies have been um, scheduled up to 2020 by DC. They've essentially planted their flags on the moon of the the movie schedule till that point with regards to these dates. There's, it kind of confirms what Nicky Fink had been saying to some extent, but obviously there's no titles attached. Yeah. Um, but 
Yeah, and I think that's about it, really. Yeah, yeah, I think, to be honest, I think the reason why this is happening is because they want to avoid the situation that just uh, they just avoided with uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and Captain America 3 landing on the same date. DC have had to move their date forward, which is brilliant for all of us fans. We get to get to see the movie three months earlier than it was originally yeah, exactly. anticipated. And I think they brilliant. probably had some room in the schedule to do that because like they're working on it now mm-hmm. and they've been working on it for some time. Uh, in production and filming, so they've probably got more time to move around with with their schedule. I Absolutely. think on DC, movie studios have been able to schedule movies and release big budget films, blockbusters over the summer, winter blockbusters, Easter blockbusters, and they've managed to do that without them clashing. Um, generally, yeah, I think personally where this comes from is thing is things like. You know, Deep Impact and um, and Armageddon being released within two weeks of each other. People always had the attitude one was copying the other, which is impossible when a movie takes two and a half years to make or three years to make. Um, it's impossible for them to copy each other. If you have two superhero movies landing on the same day, you've suddenly created a superhero battle in all of the press saying who's going to go to what mo- movie, which one has is going to, uh, which one's going to do better than the other. You've got Marvel who have got at that stage they're going to have what. Uh, 12 individual films that have gone out, 10 of which have broken, bro- broken box office records, or eight, eight at the moment, I think, have broken box office records. And then you've got essentially the first in a new franchise, or the second in a new franchise, if you count Man of Steel, uh, from DC coming out, up against that battleground. And I'd say they're not nervous, I don't think nervous is the right word, but I'd say they're they're slightly concerned. They may be they may be diminishing their box office in that first weekend, when you know that's what pays back the marketing, that's what pays back the making of the film essentially so it's good for them to kind of go right this is where we this is where we stand marvel have your own deal we're going to just keep separated on this now and go ahead with our movie plan yeah but i think that it, all it was was to get people talking about it now not coming up to the release they've got done that that's been in the papers this idea that you know head to head that's already been had mm-hmm. by them saying this and now actually the reality is happening and it probably was always the reality it's probably a bit of fun between some board executives of studios <laughs> saying, of I know, let's do this. And that's fine. It's brilliant. But um, it's kind of, I can't get excited about movies going up into <laughs> 2020 because there's probably stuff I want to see in the next few months that I'd be Absolutely. more excited about. You know, New or, Christopher Nolan movie looks great. Exactly, like yeah. Interstellar. Or the fact that we've just seen Guardians of the Galaxy, which was it pretty was awesome. Pretty and that's what I'm excited about at the moment. I'm really not that bothered about 2020. Yep, yep, know what you mean, but now we know what we're doing from now until then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, in other DC Universe news, we actually do get a little bit of news. There's there's one piece I'm just going to mention off the bat because it's not confirmed, which is um, Aquaman has been rumoured for a couple of of months now, I think, uh, that Jason Momoa, who played Khal Drogo on John's favourite show, Game of Thrones, Thrones, yeah, um, Jason Momoa has been uh, rumoured, strongly rumoured, as playing Aquaman in Batman v Superman Donna Justice potentially but again he hasn't confirmed anything nothing nothing signed apparently so uh, pretty interesting casting but um, but the other interesting story that came out this week is about how they're doing the script for the film which is quite unusual uh, that DC have asked for two different people to write two completely different scripts and they'll choose which one is best to go forward with for the film. So it's almost like an Aquaman battle royale. How do you decide which is the best Aquaman script? There's only one way. Let them fight. Yeah, so basically it just seems like a writing fight. Mm. 
Two writers will go head to head in the battle to either have their their script, the sole Aquaman script, <laughs> or that maybe it will be merged into an unusual hybrid of part A and part B <laughs> to form the actual script. The, so it's an interesting way. It seems a bit like alchemy, yeah. but I'm sure it's some. It's something that's done probably quite regularly. Apparently it's a very weird thing to do. You usually kind of say, you're telling the screenwriter, you're the writer of this film, here you go, here's your money, you go off and write the film, they get all excited, they go off and write it, you know, that's the way it goes. This is the first time they've definitely ever, as far as I know, have released, we're asking two different people to write the script. I think this it's a bit of a difficult story probably to get across to people. They probably want to, you know... Put uh, put their uh, don't want to put all their eggs in one basket, I suppose. But I heard a really good or all point. their fish in one or the fish in one net exactly. Um, but I did hear a really good point, a really good description of this. Obviously, having a writer sitting in a room putting words to a piece of paper is probably the cheapest part of producing a film. So why not get why not get twenty people to write an individual script and find out what the best one is, rather than getting halfway into a film like Roger Corman did with Fantastic Four, yeah, where you get half exactly. into a film and go, oh, we don't have the budget to make what we what was actually on the page, or this isn't going to work. Uh, let's just put it onto YouTube. <laughs> or we could get the dawn of the planet of the apes to sit in a room with typewriters and complete the works of Shakespeare. Another good film. Absolutely, but I think they might kill the people who locked them <laughs> into the room. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. That's the Aquaman news. There's only a little bit, but I loved the. the I thought this was a really interesting story. I thought I wanted to. Yeah, share it'd be it interesting to see how that plays out, really. Mm. Um, and it's an unusual way of writing, or certainly. To ourselves, um, it seems an unusual way of going about writing the script for such a potentially important film. Um, And I can't believe I just missed the get 100 Aqualand writers in a room and eventually you'll get Shakespeare. I can't believe I missed that joke. Okay, sorry. Um, (laughs) We also then heard of a new Batman comic that will be coming to the comic shelves in November this yeah. year, towards the end of this year. Definitely called, one we're excited about. Yeah. yeah, called Gotham by Midnight. And that is going to be focusing on even darker corners of the city of Gotham and the police force, the Gotham City Police Department. Mm-hmm. It is written by a chap called Rafe Fawkes, no relation of Guy. Um, <laughs> and he is the current writer of Batman Eternal. And... Um, but for me as well, one of the really exciting elements of this is that the artist involved is Ben Templesmith. I know you are just totally over the moon by this. Case. And I am way over the moon. I'm way over Saturn, <laughs> uh, Pluto, if it was still a planet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably joining Voyager going out beyond the asteroid belt at this stage. Um, a little Star Trek 1 reference there. <laughs> <I like it. laughs> um, but seeing for the first time his work in 30 Days of Night, where he was the artist with um, Steve Niles, on the, on that series, really exciting. It, it's completely different to anything you'll ever see, and it just oozes darkness. I don't know what he does or how he does it, but he just captures or seems to distill sort of dark, evil, mm. or dubious places really well, yeah. and it should be a really, really good fit. Yeah, if you guys don't know Ben Templesmith, as you can tell, John loves him. I really like, I really like him as well. It does really feel, particularly on Thursday's night, which is one 
it feels as if um, everything's written in blood almost. It's it yeah. feels like like there's such a passion gone into it, and that there is it's written by vampires. It feels like it's a, a manuscript sent from them. He did another book called Welcome to Hoxford, which is excellent as well. He's also done Ar- Wormwood. He did Wormwood. That's right. Uh, the Fell, I think it yeah. was. Welcome to Hoxford is one that just feels like it's written by a madman in an asylum and given to people. You know, yeah. um, that's what it. That's what it feels like. Cal McDonald as well. Yeah, yeah, that's another great. Let's see, yeah. let's see John's. John's a much, much like not not a bigger fan than I am, but has definitely read much more than I have. Uh, and I would recommend to anybody, and I think John would to, to go out and pick up anything by Ben Temple Smith. But if you're just a Batman fan, if you're just a Gotham fan, go out and pick this up anyway. Um, Ray Fox has specifically said about it that it's a bit of a mix of horror and supernatural set within Gotham, uh, largely devoid of Batman but will be similar to the style of Gotham Central, which we'll be speaking about later on, and also features a certain Lieutenant Corrigan, who we will be discussing later on in our uh, exactly. in Gotham Central. Um, speaking of... Lieutenant Corrigan. Yeah, he's, he's going to feature quite heavily. Once again, we have hit a point in our doing our podcasts where things just kind of mesh together. Um, in yeah. the upcoming... Corrigan is rising... Cargonizing, um, yeah, hashtag. Um, in the upcoming Constantine TV show, they've planted their flag in the moon for this character, Lieutenant Corrigan. I don't know whether we are going to see him in Gotham. Yeah, he's quite a central character to the to the uh, major crimes unit within the Gotham Central books that we're reading, and we'll we'll talk about it a lot more later on. But when I was looking at the story in my head, I was kind of going, "Ooh." Okay, so they're taking a member of the GCPD who's a member of the Major Crimes Unit. They're putting him into Constantine, which is a very different show on a different network, very different type of show. I wonder, could you do just the simplest of crossovers and have Corrigan in the background having a discussion with a couple of the members of of the GCPD on, uh, on Gotham? I'm really interested in that. And that's the easiest way to do a crossover. If you just have one character coming over... To the others, having a chat with them, just end it there, and just all you're doing is setting up the fact that they sit in the same universe. I know if anybody saw some of the interviews at Comic-Con, Jeff Johns and many of the DC executives are saying that there's no crossover is going to happen. They could just do it, though. I think I think they could just do it. Maybe Constantine won't appear in an episode of Gotham. It won't be a big shout-out. But if this little character pops over just to say hi to his but that's members it. of GPD. It's that crossover of the MCU mm. or GCPD into Constantine that could potentially happen. I think people think crossovers, they think that it's the big characters like The Flash moving to Starling City mm-hmm. to be and help with Arrow or vice versa. Yeah. And maybe there could be a more subtle or even a more detective or police orientated crossover yeah. where you have it certainly constantine investigates stuff mm-hmm. it's not beyond the realms of um of possibility that this could happen we've also just talked about gotham by midnight where ray forks is talking that the series is going to mix horror and supernatural mm-hmm. in gotham that's not to say obviously we're jumping or to any very speculative conclusions but there is that element there that that could then ultimately work yeah, um, and be that element of it. I mean, things like Poison Ivy and aspects such as Killer Croc or any of those other things do have fairly, you know, horror or maybe even supernaturalistic elements to them. Then it might just work. 
absolutely. You never know. As I say, if they just go for a cup of coffee with Harvey Bullock and, and Lieutenant Cargan just to talk about, did you hear about this guy, John Constantine, the English guy who smokes all the time? Sure about him. And that's one scene, you know, down the make it happen. There is the trench, <laughs> uh, the trench coat squad as well. Mm-hmm. So there could be, you know, think of uh, detectives mm-hmm. or private investigators with their trench coats on, Constantine type things. So... You never know. You never know. Never Maybe know. I'm just wanting it more than anyone else in the world, but it would be quite fun. <laughs> I know. I'm really excited about Constantine. I'm really excited about this idea of, of putting in a no, another known character from the DC Universe. Just, you know, put him in there. And obviously, as a Gotham fan, I'd love to see a little bit interconnection. But hey, but maybe as well... Know. Maybe it's the love between Fox and NBC. Maybe it's just not there for that. Remember, again, as we keep stressing, this is a DC Comics and Warner Brothers TV production. They're sold to the channels Fox and NBC. So they're all producing them. We saw them all on stage together. Matt Ryan was right next door to Ben McKenzie and Harvey Bullock. You know, there's a... Uh, a very good ben, ben McKenzie and Harvey Bullock Ben McKenzie and Donald Logue sorry um, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting confused already Donald Logue looks so much like Harvey Bullock I'm already getting them confused not uh, Brian Michael Bendis not Brian Michael Bendis no <laughs> he's never going to let me live that I one down never that's it for the news for this week we also have some feedback as well which came in through the Twitterverse <laughs> <laughs> everything is a verse now of mm-hmm. course the MCU verse as I said in the last podcast we received a tweet there from doug green and he basically asked us can you gotham tv podcast help me out is this barbara gordon erin richards Mm -hmm. going to be the mother of the barbara gordon that becomes ultimately batgirl yeah we thought it was a good idea to kind of bring this into the show and chat to you guys about it you know just in case you had the same question you know it's it's interesting it's barbara keenan's who's uh who's being played by erin richards in the show She's the fiance of Jim Gordon. It's very possible that they get married and she becomes Barbara Gordon. And again, very possible that sadly they named their two children after the two of them. And that it's Barbara, Barbara and James Gordon are, are a junior, I suppose. Well, I'm glad um, they didn't call her Jim Gordon. That's that would true. be that would be odd. <laughs> that is true. What we said back to Doug Green was that we noticed that um Barbara was actually young. Barbara Keane was in The Dark Knight. And that final standoff scene between uh, Two-Face, Batman, Jim Gordon, and his wife, who's never named in the in the, in the movie. His daughter is held in her arms with her face obscured. Ha, um, again, not named, but young Jim, young James Gordon was named in the film. Um, I never knew why they did that. I never knew why they didn't call her called his wife Barbara and his daughter Barbara and, uh, and why they were only giving James his name in uh, in that movie. But, you know, it's absolutely possible that if this show goes on for a number of years or if there's a time jump, which is rumoured, that it's absolutely possible that Barbara Keane could be the mother of Barbara Keane Jr. But I think there is zero possibility that Batgirl would come into the show. We've, absolutely. It's been confirmed that David Masseuse needs to be 25 before he can play Batman, confirmed by himself. Um, so mm-hmm. there is no way that Batman's going to appear in the show. So therefore, how can you have a Batgirl without a Batman? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, that it would be strange to suddenly see a Robin or a Nightwing or, in this case, a Batgirl show up before Batman has even begun. 
in some ways, from a storytelling perspective, and you can have those different perspectives. And of course, the story of Batman has always been focused very much on Batman and his allies Absolutely. have come in around him. It doesn't negate the idea that people may have been doing certain things before uh, the Batman. But in this case, speaking of the Batman or the Bat family, it would seem strange that that would happen. And given the overriding premise of Gotham as a show, which is Gotham before the Batman, um, and having a young Bruce Wayne in David Mazous essentially being the... It would almost feel as though then Batman was copying someone else, which is, I don't think, what they, DC would want to have that perception get out there. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, thanks very much for your feedback, Doug. Always good to hear from you. Um, we did get a bit of feedback from uh, from our friend Daniel Butcher from uh, from Welcome to Level 7, who was um, complimenting us, I guess, or commenting on our... Uh, <laughs> complimenting is probably a bit strong. He was commenting on the fact that uh, we seemed pretty effus- effusive about uh, the Wonder Woman costume, and uh, our feelings seems to not be borne out very much by the really nerdy internet, uh, who are not happy that she's toned down the uh, the stars and stripes in her costume. Um, we really, I really like it. I really like uh, the costume for it, Diana, uh, in in the new Batman v Superman movie. I was really excited to see the Trinity up on stage together. I was really excited to finally have an image of the third member of uh, of the the big section of the DC universe it's great to have a female character that's really strong and, uh, and and showing how cool she is in that in that image I didn't know the backlash from uh, from a huge amount of fans was going to be as strong as it was but I was excited about it yeah. yeah I mean for me I just thought she had come straight from Amazonia yeah, in that sense cool. I that's why I assumed she didn't have the gold and the red and the blue um, in that classic uh, version of, of Wonder Woman was purely because she had come straight from Amazonia. Yeah, I always, I always think this when I see, you know, when I see a version of a character on screen, it's very difficult for for a studio to get it a hundred percent right and, and make everybody happy. You know, um, particularly with someone like Wonder Woman, who's been around for you know seventy years, has had hundreds of people draw that book, um, hundreds of different versions of what she what she actually looks like in their mind, transferred to a piece of paper. A TV show that went on for years, loads and loads of different versions of them. How are they ever going to live up to that for decades? But isn't it great that they, that there's finally an image of her out there? And definitely never ever judge what a character is going to look like in one photograph to what the actual movie is no, going exactly. to look like. You know? it, it, it makes no sense. Looked, it just looked like that. a cool photograph. So uh, anyway, Daniel, thanks as always for your feedback. Um, if anybody hasn't checked out, welcome to Level Seven and has listened to us. Go over and check yeah, them out. Head over and check it out. It's really good. Great podcast. Um, Certainly enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, review, so thanks for that. Yep. (laughs) As always. I think that's it for the feedback for this week. If anybody wants to get in contact with us, you can always email us at gothamtvpodcast at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter, again, gothamtvpodcast. You can go go to us on Google Plus. We're up there. We're posting posting away on there we as can, Gotham TV as podcast. Gotham, shockingly enough, um, we're also on Instagram, on uh, Tumblr. We're up on there. Flickr as well. Flickr. Most of our news stories go up on the website gothamtvpodcast.com. You can also comment on there. And uh, I think Facebook's probably our uh, probably our primary location for really detailed kind of stuff. Yeah. 160 yeah. characters just isn't enough on Twitter. So, uh, again, you can find us at facebook.com slash Gotham TV Podcast. So, uh, go check it out. Um, yeah, I think that's it for, uh, yeah, for this so section. On to Gotham Central Part 4 review. Excellent. 
The Gotham Central Part 4 review uh, covers issues 23 through to 27, and this includes three story arcs, uh, Corrigan, uh, the first arc, issues 23 to 24, a single arc issue, Lights Out, which also links into a crossover piece, and then issues 26 through to 27 cover On the Freak Beat, which is a great sounding title. We're going to cover these as a whole, but the basic stories for each of these arcs is for Corrigan that Crispus Allen's job is threatened after a piece of crucial evidence is removed from a crime scene. And this leads to a whole underworld of crime memorabilia collection and so on. And this involves Crispus Allen and Rennie Montoya back together again. In Lights Out... This crossover comes with the Batman War Games crossover, and this is where Commissioner Atkins essentially calls time on GCPD's relationship with the Batman and orders the bat signal to be removed from the top of the MCU. Yeah, so essentially Commissioner Atkins decommissions the bat signal, which I think is quite ironic. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and finally, on the freak beat is that a murder investigation which appears to point immediately towards the Catwoman exposes more supernatural elements within the MCU uh, involving the investigative detectives. Mm-hmm. So a really good set of um, of arcs that come together here. And I think primarily we're going to look at these as, as one whole rather than specifically splitting them up. Um, although we will mention where they naturally split um, is because... I think the good thing about Gotham Central anyway, and we've talked about this before, is the rhythm is very good in it, you know, it focuses on some of the big bads like Mr. Freeze, the Joker, Harvey Dent, Two-Face, and so on. Mad Hatter, yeah. Yeah, and the Mad Hatter as well. But it also then brings you back down to just sort of that day-to-day workings of the MCU, them doing investigative um, work. And the relationships and development of those relationships uh, as well. It almost like a breathers. And I think these series of arcs, despite the Catwoman coming in towards the um, the last arc on the Freak Beat, these arcs in general focus much more heavily on the members of the MCU, the major crimes unit of the police. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's a good way to kind of cover the three of them together, I suppose. Um, the first one starts out. Uh, Corrigan starts out with a with the meeting of. Uh, a bit of character building between Crispus and Rene. Um, just reminding us essentially that the, that the two of them are really close characters, that despite everything that's gone on in their lives, um, despite all the all the peace that went on between Harvey Dent and Rene Montoya, that Crispus Allen always has her back. Uh, it's a really strong relationship. Um, we're really hopeful that this translates into, into the Gotham TV show. Um, what do you think the, of the discussion between the two of them, just kind of sitting down having a, having a good old one-to-one about... Uh, about their friendships together. Yeah, I think it's really good. It's great to see it back uh, within the the series, and it builds on their relationship that's happened probably ever since Half a Life, yeah. that big story arc. And it also looks and explores the other relationships of Rennie Montoya, which is her partner and girlfriend, Dee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's a really interesting uh, point in the story um, of Corrigan. I think it's in part two where 
Lenny has gotten into a fight, and we'll come to that, obviously, a bit yeah. later, with Corrigan, um, but a physical fight. And there's this really interesting um, conversation between Dee and Montoya as Montoya comes back from that fight and wakes Dee up in bed, where you know they start to say how this city, Gotham, is a violent city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it gets expanded that well the job is violent and then d kind of expresses her concerns to say that sometimes i just think that you like the violence um that is inherent within the job that you do in an inherently violent uh, and criminal city Mm -hmm. and it just maybe exposes and peels back some elements of what montoya's character may be that is she violent or is it that she does what she has to do um, to get things done and she has to do it in a certain way? Or is it because she simply learnt um, from the old school cop, the one, you know, we admire to some extent, Harvey Bullock? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's one of the really, one of the big kind of pieces about these three issues. The strength of the female characters within the GCPD really is pointed to this uh, very much. The story about about Rene, the, the story and um, focused around um, around Josie McDonald as well. Um, all very strong characters within uh, within within the GCPD. But I suppose after the after the beginning of the issue, there's a there is a, one of the freaks or one of the uh, they they call them a villain. They call them a freak. Sorry, but one of the uh, one of the villains that's involved in the story is uh, is Black Spider. It's very like Spider-Man. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> they, they even do a, a little call out in the artwork to a, to a great Spider-Man pose when he appears uh, in the doorway. Essentially, um, it looks like a real a real Spider-Man reference. Essentially, but um, a battle a battle ensues between uh, between Rene and, uh, and Crispus and uh, Black Spider on the other side, and some of his men. And Rene takes two shots to the to the stomach. Crispus shoots the the protagonists involved, and the protagonists have shot. The Black Spider. Mm-hmm. And so all around are essentially lying dead or wounded. Benny Montoya is wounded. All the others are dead. Crispus Allen is there. And who comes back to do the um, forensics? But it's uh, Detective or Lieutenant. Uh, no, it's Detective Corrigan. Um, who has been hinted at previously. And again, I think what really works well in these is keeping that development of of previous stories where people or events were maybe only even hinted at but Corrigan was f- was thrown in quite flippantly um, back to indicate um, in soft targets back to indicate that he was had potential corruption um, suspicions over him mm. and all of a sudden we, we see him here investigating a crime scene and we see him put a bullet from the crime scene, sort of in his pocket. Yeah. Uh, and we just kind of wonder what he's doing because he's not bagging it as per the procedure. Yeah. And again, we also have the return of Detective Esperanza as well from mm. Half-Life, who was essentially hounding Rennie um, because of her previous links with Harvey Bullock. And here we see another side of him where he kind of begins to help her and includes her in an investigation of another potentially corrupt member of the GCPD. Yeah, because essentially Christmas has been, the, the spotlight has been turned on Christmas Allen, that he mur- essentially murdered the uh, the bad guys in this in this moment, that he didn't uh, 
he didn't use the right restraint. Um, I love this little idea of the bullet that's gone missing is the one that could have, could have exonerated him because of the angle it was shot at. He's telling everybody they shot first. They, um, the mm -hmm. way they were aiming yeah. could have killed Rene, um, and he's uh, and he can't be exonerated now because the bullet's gone missing. Carrigan has taken it. Really good, uh, really good idea. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it shows how much even in a room full of bullets, just taking one of the uh, one of the ten bullets, isn't it? Nine bullets that are yeah. there, just taking one of them has uh, could potentially lead to Crispus being in prison for years. You know? Exactly. <laughs> and we see then Detective Esperanza essentially investigate Corrigan. There's the suspicion within the MCU itself that oh, Corrigan was doing it. And actually, at the end of part one of the Corrigan arc, uh, we see Corrigan essentially putting it up on an eBay-type site mm -hmm. um, to sell part of this crime scene memorabilia, or evidence, I should say, as memorabilia to to a wi willing purchaser. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, no, uh, really, really good. I uh, love as the investigation goes on. You mentioned it earlier on, but uh, and we said we talk about Corrigan uh, a lot in this uh, in this episode. Um, I love that uh, that as the investigation progresses, that Rene just goes out and takes up uh, stands up to Corrigan essentially. In as... in which bar? In <laughs> Finnegan's bar. So a little landmark here, and I think um, maybe just hold that in your the back of your mind for you Gothamites who are going to be looking at the show this autumn because maybe um, we've seen in the trailer that they're in a bar I wonder whether that's Finnegan's bar I wonder whether there will be a Finnegan's bar a mm. bit like this idea of will there be an iceberg lounge mm -hmm. at some point in Gotham just to see you know what little landmarks are they going to place within the series and I think actually one of the great things about these sets of stories particularly linking to the Gotham show is that they suddenly because they focus purely on the the MCU and and the police department much more so than in the bigger arcs where you've got the Joker and you've got the Mad Hatter and so on is that you kind of go well how how much information is this giving us or is teasing us that might occur in in the show. Mm -hmm. And I think here, there's just a little landmark with Finnegan's Bar, that that's one of the hangouts for the GCPD. And you're right, that's where Renny Montoya goes to face down, essentially, Corrigan in the bar with all his others, um, which is a great scene and leads to the fight. Absolutely. And just the fight itself between Renny, she, she is not taking anything from Corrigan. She will, she will take him down at all costs uh, to prove she is just as good a cop as any other man in that bar. Um, fantastic scene. I'm really. It's it's something that I'd love to see filmed. It's something that I'd love to see Victoria Cartagena take on um, in her role in um, showing the strength of Rene Montoya and showing how much she's one of the boys. She's very much a central character. She's one of the best uh, detectives in the in the GCPD in the Major Crimes Unit, um, and she's here to show them that she can also stand up face to face fist-to-fist fist with any man. Exactly. And just a quick question, a little rhetorical question here. Do you think we will see Lieutenant Corrigan in Gotham? Do yeah. you think there will be a casting of that, given that we now know he's likely to appear in Constantine? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? This is what, what I was talking about earlier on. I, I'd love to see the crossover. I'd love to see them use the same actor in uh, in Constantine and in this, um, in Gotham, obviously. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. But but I think if they're gonna if they're gonna cast the character, 
they're probably going to need to need to have a different actor. The character plays quite a significant role in the GCPD as a dirty cop, essentially. So if you need another dirty cop, they may just take another name and and, uh, yeah. and use that name. It might just cause a bit of confusion, particularly because it would be something that may happen in the first season or second season. And by that stage, you have an established Corrigan over on a different network on a different show. So, so while you say it was a rhetorical question, it's a long answer for, <laughs> for a rhetorical No, I, and I, I agree. I completely agree. I think if they're setting that character up in Constantine, it will be unlikely that they will have him as a reoccurring regular actor on the show. He might do a crossover, or we hope he might do a crossover, but I think certainly that point of having another almost blatantly or dubious, blatantly dubious cop on the show, other than, say, maybe the Harvey Bullock, I think to have all that sort of suspicion and dubiousness centred on a single member of the Major Crimes Unit might just focus it too brightly on Harvey Bullock. And Mm -hmm. it would be interesting to have that notion that he's not the only one and it's not simply him. And there are other members at different levels. Maybe it is that they are selling evidence or that they're taking a backhander to give press files or, mm-hmm. or something like that and um, that but that there are other forms and types of corruption that are going on not just simply maybe um harvey bullocks yeah that would be good yeah no that'd be really cool be really cool but uh but the investigation continues um sorry just a quick point renee obviously wins the fight but just beats all hell out of uh out of corrigan leaves him in front of all of his friends and all his supporting cops uh, lying on the ground, bleeding essentially, and then walks away. Yeah. I love that. And again, within Finnegan's Bar, we get this sense that we didn't think detectives from the Major Crimes Unit came down here to drink in Finnegan's mm-hmm. Bar. So maybe that means Finnegan's Bar won't show up in the Gotham show, but it also, again, alludes to this idea that you know there are distinct rivalries within the police department itself. Yeah. But the investigation continues. It leads to to one of my favourite bits of the book, just an old woman who's collecting memorabilia from the all the Gotham criminals. And it's one of those ones that I'd love, again, I, instantly for me, of checking every corner of the of the uh, the particular page, seeing who uh, what what stuff she has collected over the years from the Riddler, from Penguin, from um from all of the other criminals in in there. And this is her her newest piece, which is the. Uh, the bullet that uh, black spiders men shot essentially yeah and the the cover the cover of part one shows um Renny montoya with her gun aloft sort of walking along a set of cabinets where you've got a brolly with the penguin mm-hmm. and you've got poison ivy and various different memorabilia so the, the front cover artwork is, is really is a really good indicator of of actually how the investigation ends. It's almost like they've walked into a museum. Yeah. And one of the things I kind of like as well is this relationship between um, Esperanza, Detective Esperanza, mm. and Rene as well, because yeah. essentially what Esperanza does is he undermines his own investigation in Corrigan by helping Rene exonerate Crispus Allen That's from right. the possibility that he shot unduly at the crime members mm-hmm. when they took out the black spider in that initial confrontation yeah. and that i find is really uh, again it harks back to that half a life arc 
and is a really nice link backwards as well as there now being this link forwards from that arc. And yeah. I think it really ties together well. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the, the distrust at the beginning between Rene and um, and Esperanza is, is palpable. She doesn't like the guy. He tried to, in her mind, they're the lowest form of policemen. She, they're the people that got rid of Harvey Bullock. They're the people that got were getting rid of her. Um, so her working together with uh, with Esperanza is a really good, really good piece. And the fact that he... Uh, that he turns around, ignores his own case in Carrigan, and, and gives her essentially the, the moment of triumph to to exonerate um, to exonerate Crispus is is really good. I like that. I like how it ends. I like the well, we'll trade you the final bullet that Black Spider ever shot for that bullet that will exonerate. Uh, yeah, really, really good. Really good. Um, it's almost like a subdued ending that mm. there's this. Everyone's favorite granny just happens to be collecting this memorabilia yeah. in her mind. Um, she doesn't think she's doing technically anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost, I suppose, like collecting war memorabilia or that type of thing. Absolutely. Or comic books, even. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. To an extent, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that then leads us on to Lights Out, which starts ultimately with. Um, these burly kind of uh, city work employees coming up to the top of the GCPD roof, and you have Commissioner Atkins that removes the bat signal. Yeah. It's this culmination in the war between different criminal elements and the Batman being involved. It goes back to soft targets with the Joker, mm-hmm. where it was, you know. There was both the lieutenant was killed by the Joker in the interview room, and you also then Romy Chandler's partner was was killed in the kids' department store mm-hmm. at Christmas time. This war that is raging in Gotham between criminal gangs, these freaks, and the Batman is leaving members of the police department whether it's police officers or detectives they are the collateral damage that's happening across this city and Atkins quite frankly says I've had enough we trusted you to help us you know we couldn't officially say we believed that you existed but we had the bat signal and we trusted you to help and people in my department are dying falling like flies um, and enough is enough. You no longer command our trust or respect, and if you get in the way of us, we will look to take you down. Absolutely, yeah. And I know it ties into the War Games arc from the Batman comics that was uh, that was going on at the time. And um, we're not reviewing those, obviously. We're we're not really going to discuss them. But essentially, the 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 one piece from those books that led to this point is that uh, Batman essentially ignored the hierarchy of the police of the GCPD. And tried to treat them as his own army, essentially. Tried to give them orders to send them off, leading to the death of another and the injuries of many GCPD members, which essentially is the reason why Atkins goes, that's it, we're done, we're not your army. If you get in the way, we will shoot. They hinted that in the in the issue, uh, and it all relates around uh, an event that occurs at a school. And to be honest, this is my only one criticism, is that I didn't kind of understand where that came from, mm. because it wasn't related to the Gotham Central issues yeah 
and I've not read the Batman War Games crossover. Mm. So I, I must say I was slightly confused when reading these this issue, kind of going, well, where did that happen? And I actually thought it was to do with Unresolved and the bombings with the um, basketball team and, and yeah. all that story arc that we um, discussed in our part three uh, podcast on Gotham Central. Yeah, I know what you mean. It is one of those big difficulties after the fact, looking at um, looking back at a particular series and not reading all the connected material. If you're reading um, some of the big story arcs that go across multiple books and they don't tie into the central story arc, you're wondering why you why you picked up that issue. But if you're just reading the the main book um, and it doesn't it it does tie in, it feels a bit out of place. So it feels so this particular one lights out. It's this, the weakest of the of the books, uh, the the ones that we read. I think for me, um, but there it is a good story. I do like yeah. the idea of what happens in the GCPD if they take away the bat signal absolutely i think as well it continues that character's development from the corrigan uh, issues as well uh, because it, it harks back to what you were just previously saying about um, you know you see this connective tissue between Renan montoya and christopher allen and how strong they are as a detective team and partnership but one of the things that this issue pulls out is an interesting difference between the two where they don't necessarily see eye to eye. And that is on the point of the Batman. Is he a freak? Is he any use to Gotham or to the police force? And Christmas Allen is very much of the opinion that, you know, he is a freak. He causes officers to die. For Rene Montoya... She says and argues, this is why I took up the badge to become a police officer, essentially mm-hmm. to help this guy out because he helped save my neighborhood and my city. He's fighting for my city. That's why I became a police officer, why I looked to become a detective. So you get this interesting kind of play. And they also ask the question, you know, who came first, Batman or the Freaks? And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in, in Gotham, mm. the TV show. Because, in a sense, Gotham, the TV show, is saying these Freaks kind of emerged from the criminal underworld um, and were there almost in genesis before the Batman existed. Whereas, for example, in the three Nolan films, the Dark Knight trilogy that we've looked at, Nolan makes the point that as soon as Batman put on the mask, then that escalated Mm. the freaks to come out and almost to better him. It took the criminal world to another level because of him putting on the mask, uh, the cowl and the cape. And that's a really interesting point that I kind of picked from from this discussion between Montoya and, and Alan as well. Yeah, yeah, I do like that she does give a little call out to the fact that it was a uh, it was a Joker plot that, to poison the water in the area um, that saved her, uh, That sorry, that Batman tried to save their neighbourhood from, or eventually did save their neighbourhood from, but she has always had trust in the Batman from that point onwards, knowing that he's always out there looking out for everybody. I love that little, yeah. little callback that she did. And I think um, we have to give a shout out to poor old Stacy, the um, <laughs> office junior. You know, she She's she's loved being there to turn on the bat yeah. signal. Like she's pleased as punch. That's getting gets taken away from her. She hears these arguments within the you know the coffee breaks of the MCU, mm-hmm. and she's kind of feeling pretty sorry for herself. So yeah. I, and not I only that, feel they even, sorry for her. They even take away the place that she eats her lunch. 
because they're all up there working on the yeah. bat signal, so she has nowhere um, to go and get away. But a lot of these standoffs <laughs> occur throughout this issue. You get the standoff between the mayor and then Commissioner Atkins mm-hmm. saying, you know, why did you take the bat signal off the top of the police department? Who gave you the the authority and the right? I certainly didn't. So you get that standoff Absolutely. between the commissioner and the mayor, which is really interesting. Absolutely. I love the little gag that it's essentially he's essentially going oh destroy tourism people come to the city yeah. to see the bat, the bat signal really exactly um, <laughs> and then you finally do get a standoff between commissioner atkins and the batman himself mm. he confronts him in the car park you see a real standoff between the two you know batman saying i'm on the same side you can trust me Commissioner Atkins saying, I'm correcting a mistake that we ever trusted you and taking this down. And he makes it quite pointedly. Um, I'll destroy you if your actions come into conflict with the um, aims and objectives of this police department. So it's a, it is a proper standoff. Yep. My only kind of, sort of slight irritation is that ultimately you don't necessarily get to see this played out. Mm any further maybe we will do in later issues but because it's part of a a wider crossover it might be that that doesn't necessarily occur but i'm hoping that in some of the issues rolling uh, forwards that this confrontation and this t- tension will still be present because mm-hmm. it is a really interesting one that we've talked about before yep and i know because this took place quite a long a long time ago i know that there is quite a significant storyline that comes from this not necessarily in gotham central but in the in the dc universe around the time i do remember there's a uh, quite specific consequences of of the uh, the war games arc um yeah so yeah we we, we will see that in future Next arc is on the freak beat. Um, in this one, it's it's a really good investigation story. This is a really detailed investigation story with the other side of the of the major crimes unit, uh, focusing much more on uh, Josie McDonald and uh, Marcus Driver and their investigation into the death of a televangelist who's uh, Reverend Buford Pressman. A tough character, apparently very strong, staunch religious character. They all they all ignore and all dislike because of his uh, his beliefs and his uh, televangelism. But the actual murder of uh, of Pressman. The actual murder scene leads Marcus Driver to think that it's Catwoman, um, that she's involved. There's scratches on uh, on Pressman's face. There's jewels left out in there. But essentially, when Josie sees the jewels left out, the emeralds, the emerald necklace, isn't it? Yeah. Um, when she sees them left out, she goes, "Well, then it isn't Catwoman because Catwoman wouldn't have left without taking the shiny jewels with it." Essentially, yeah, she would have taken them. Plus, as the story progresses, you see that there are other valuable paintings there's like this solid gold crucifix and it's this idea that why would any of these be left if it was a heist for jewelry and i like the little the little gag of and why would a televangelist have all this stuff as well <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> that's kind of cool maybe he needs the money to buy into the whites only part of the uh, parts of of heaven isn't it and then uh Jazzy's like you've obviously watched his <laughs> watched his show many times, but yeah, I really like really like the the storyline here, and I like the um the kind of slow reveal of uh, of Josie McDonald and who she really is and her background. Yeah, cool. we we see we see Josie McDonald turn up at her father's grave and kind of just speaking to her dad the about this they're beginning to ask questions about why it is that my gut feeling seems to be right all the time, that I get a lot of hunches right and all this. Um, I don't want to move on. You get this sense that she's had to move on from a previous assignment or job or 
partnership because there were suspicions about her and who she is. Yeah, she is the newest member of, the, of Gotham Central, essentially. She's, uh, she only joined a year ago uh, and when this story takes place. Yeah. And she was brought on because Rene Montoya had been abducted by Two-Face Harvey Dent. Mm -hmm. And she was... Um, her replacement for a while with Christmas Allen. Then got moved over to Marcus Driver. Josie McDonald has come in to essentially plug holes in other people's partnerships where people have either died or got injured or had to have some leave to recover mentally or physically from something. Yeah. And this yeah. maybe has kept her cover to date um, hidden from these people. Mm -hmm. But she's beginning to suspect now that Marcus Driver is kind of looking at her suspiciously because... And the big reveal that we find out from that slow burn is she has psychic powers. Mm. Um, she can look at objects and get a sense of what's happened to the environments that they are located in. A psychic slash maybe clairvoyant type person, but she ultimately has got superpowers. Yeah, yeah, which I think is really cool. It's a, it's a cool little idea, and it's a great way to bring it into um, a more realistic kind of uh, environment as Gotham Central has been. Uh, it's a great way to bring it in that there is actually uh, there is actually a super uh, super powered person within their ranks that they're not aware of. I think that's really cool. And it really works well with the title of this two issue story arc on the freak beat because it's this idea of cops on the beat and the freaks, but actually then there is a freak beat going on within the MCU. And what we find out then is essentially her gut is telling her that the Catwoman had nothing to do with the murder of this televangelist. Mm -hmm. And kind of Marcus Driver kind of is willing to go with her on this because she's had so many right calls previously. To an extent, what she's saying makes sense. But unfortunately, as she's spilling her concerns and anxiety to her dad in the graveyard, on one of the big uh, tombstones is the Catwoman. Mm -hmm. Is Selina Kyle looking down going, well, this is perfect because now I've got something to blackmail you with. You need a little better intonation there, John. This is perfect. Well, <laughs> I'm maybe... Channel your inner cat, man. <laughs> but this is perfect. Better. That she now basically went to Josie McDonald to say, look, I'm innocent. It wasn't me that killed the televangelist. And she overhears this essential confession at the gravestone of her father about the fact that she is one of the freaks that all her colleagues talk about. And that's why she's kind of anxious and clamming up is this idea that she will be tarnished with that same brush. Catwoman then kind of goes, well, I'm glad to know that you think I'm innocent as well, because that's what I came to tell you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose this is this is kind of where my criticism of the issue comes in. It's um, it's really in the artwork in this issue. I'm not a big fan of, of uh, what's happened here. Um, it's because of this kind of standout moment where you've got Catwoman standing on top of a, on top of a, a grave. It could have been a brilliantly drawn moment in the comic book. It's one of those real great slash pages. I think Jason Alexander's artwork is quite difficult, quite difficult to to tell who the characters are at times, unfortunately. So while I love the idea in the book that they very much split the um, the GCPD into night shifts and day shifts and change the artwork artwork when uh, when you're talking about a different set of characters, I don't think Jason Alexander's uh, artwork in this particular set of issues works for me. I think it's one of those things where, obviously, artwork is such an important part of a comic book. 
because it's images with text. You know, I know, I know, <laughs> I'm, I know, form. yeah, no, I know, I'm <laughs> stating the obvious here, but it disorientates when you get a new artist on. I don't think it's necessarily any question over his artwork, or, or maybe to an extent, it's not a question of his style. Although you may like or dislike someone's style of mm-hmm. art, for me, I think you start having to look at the page, going, well. I don't recognize who that is. Yeah. Is that Marcus Driver? Like, I found myself in this issue having to check who it was that, for example, Josie McDonald was speaking to by saying, Oi, Driver, or What do you think, Driver? Yeah. I couldn't tell from the artwork that you it thought was, she was. You thought she was speaking to her actual driver? <laughs> no, no, but I couldn't tell that it was Marcus Driver. And it's slightly disorientating. And I think mainly because it's not distinct enough from Michael Locke's artwork. So you kind of think you do, but you're not entirely sure. You recognize that there's something not quite the same. And so I think on paper, it worked really well to have this idea of, you know, the night shift is a different artist from the day shift in the same way that they've done that with the writing. But sometimes it can be a bit disorientating and it takes a while to then figure out who the protagonists within that issue is because you, you don't particularly recognize them. Because I think ultimately it's Michael Lark's artwork that is the predominant uh, style that runs through these issues so far. Mm. Um, and you've occasionally had other artists come in. And maybe they should have made it more distinct, mm. really distinct to help. But I agree with you on that, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a minor criticism, though. I must say, I really like the, the issue. This is probably my favourite arc of the three, but mostly because of the storyline, really. It's much more of an adult story as well, um, this one, than, than some of the others that we've had before. The actual reveal of, of how the murder happened and uh, and who's, who's behind it, essentially, that uh, Catwoman has been in the apartment. She has stolen something from it, but it was actually videotapes of uh, the dead preachers um sexual fetish yeah and uh, this was to blackmail him catwoman essentially was in the business of blackmail mm-hmm. because he was going to do a property deal um that went bad it Im- impacted on her neighborhood she wanted to blackmail him to stop him and essentially it was to collect his sex tapes yeah ultimately and what you then find out is catwoman and josie work together so catwoman has um a pi essentially give her these pictures it involves the newspapers of a leaked story Mm -hmm. so there's kind of leaking of um from the newspapers saying that it is catwoman and this provokes catwoman to come and seek out uh, josie mcdonald in the first place it suddenly gets turned on its head by the use of these photographs of the televangelist involved in some kind of sexual fetish and fantasy. Yeah, I, um, I've just called them extracurricular activities here. Okay, in my notes. extracurricular <laughs> activities, which is handed over to the uh, the newspaper journalist again, mm-hmm. who was kind of trusted, and this leak saying that it was Catwoman kind of got the GCPD on edge. But they basically say, here you go, here are these, who is your source that said it was the Catwoman? You then find that it's one of the preacher's aides mm-hmm. who has essentially tried to protect him. And it ended off with him killing him. Yeah, Reverend Pressman's aide, uh, Macmillan is the one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that essentially 
um, because of the exposure that would happen with all these videos and pictures of these extracurricular activities being released to the public. This would have absolutely destroyed Pressman's ability to do his job, essentially his career, and all the money that he's getting in if the public had found out how depraved he is. Uh, essentially, that's the that's the purpose of it. The GCPD tracked down uh, Macmillan from the phone records. He was the last person that uh, Pressman called before uh, before getting murdered, which is quite a simple one. Yeah, it's a rookie mistake, but yeah. essentially it's kind of explained by the fact that all the clues were leading to the Catwoman, that most detectives would have gone for that easy, it's the Catwoman, let's try and find her. That's the explanation. We're never going to be able to find her or capture her. Um, easily enough so therefore it kind of gets chalked down as an easy sort of cross off and win for the the unit but because Josie's sort of tenacity and this now reveals um, psychic ability <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's taken further but it still leads to the closure of the case because they track him down to essentially uh, an underground club dealing with fetishism and, and so on and at the same time, Catwoman's gone there to help. And, of course, in a nice twist of irony, uses her whip <laughs> expertly to, to pull him in and to get him to say that he will confess to, to everything. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, he killed the televangelist, Bufford. Yeah, so essentially, Bufford threatens to kill both of them um, because of, as I said, the exposure. Um, and he says in self-defense, technically, that's how he killed Pressman. He took the gun and, and shot him. So I could have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids in the GCPD. But it's a really nice... <laughs> it's really good. It's a really nice story. It's really good. It kind of... I know you're saying it's kind of like that. It's a very adult story. I completely agree with that. It has this element to me that reminds me of The Wire mm. to an extent where you have these underground seedy criminal elements like the, the sex trade and prostitute rings and so on. But then it's linked to other city institutions like the city newspaper with the journalist mm-hmm. and the Gotham Gazette. It links to this preacher. In this case, it's a televangelist. It could quite easily be anyone else in another type of public or community office. Um, and this links to then the freaks, um, in this case, Catwoman, and then the police department investigating it. And to me, it has very much elements and feel of The Wire, which mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, um, yeah. Who didn't? But uh, I think overall, yeah. I really enjoyed all these different arcs. Mm. One last point about Unfreaky, though, like I, I just the ending of it, I think is is really good. Essentially, it's just uh, it's just the decision of Josie to tell Marcus. Um, so this would be the first time that she's told anybody in the in the police department. I'm, I'm assuming this ramification will play out over the next uh, the next time we see the night shift. Um, but I think that's that's a really interesting decision of uh, uh, to end the story that way. That um, she she picks up the phone and calls Marcus, and finally is is open to talking to him about it. It's a nice ending, and I think it's another ending where this series of comics is investigating difference and people's ability and willingness, or not, as the case may be, to accept and embrace other people who are different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important um, aspect of some of these issues and it's a theme that runs through um, aspects of these issues and that's a really really nice and great thing to see in a comic i think overall all these arcs i actually really quite enjoyed the lights out one and i think that's no fault of its own it's probably 
you have to do this crossover. Mm-hmm. I think it posed a lot of really good questions, which unfortunately it just wasn't able to answer within a single issue. And it wasn't carried on to the next issue. It might get brought up in future issues that we will look at, but that was kind of the weakest for me, despite it still um, introducing a number of good kind of questions. But what I liked about these were the character developments. I think you've got some real good development of Josie McDonald, Mm -hmm. and that up until now we had just seen her filling in as as someone's partner where they had lost their sort of long-time partner. And for, obviously, Rene Montoya, Crispus Allen, that great partnership is back in the Corrigan episodes and continues in Lights Out. And you get some development as to why they are such a strong team. But you also start to see aspects of their professional relationship and their own private views that, that diverge from one another, yeah. which is which is also another great aspect i think to see yeah. i really enjoyed that element to it yeah definitely and for me i've mentioned it a couple of times um during these the, the discussion really but i love the strength of the female characters that are that are brought yeah. to bear in this yeah. in these uh, in these books it's it's a rare thing to see in a lot of comic books unfortunately and um, the strength of a female character is generally just well she's got big muscles because she's a super powered hero or super super villain um or she looks sexy or whatever the decision that they make is whereas with Rene and with Josie, they're they're shown to just be strong women who who are written well. Really, it's not, it's not it's not that they're unusual. It's that they're written well and they're written realistically. It was a really luck. Absolutely, and I think finally as well for me is that just get this closer look at the MCU. I think if you're invested in this series, you know you have your beats within Gotham Central where they will bring in the Joker and they will bring in these big bads, and then you get the the beats look at these interpersonal relationships within the uh, major crimes unit and what they have to do to deal with being a police officer, a detective in a crazy city. And for me, this relates so strongly to the potential of what Gotham the TV series could be. And in these types of arcs, I can see why certain cast members in Gotham or the creators of Gotham have advised their actors to go and have a look at these series of um, comics Mm -hmm. because it really focuses on quite deeply the inner workings of the GCPD. And and that's really interesting, I think. And I mean, if they're written as well as these comics are and there's that layer and texturing of character development and interaction i mean it will be really good i think yeah yeah no totally agree totally agree um hope you hope you all have enjoyed uh, listening to our coverage of this series of gothic comics uh gotham central comics excuse me i uh, hope you're reading along um we will be covering more gotham central in uh in our next episode i believe yeah i uh, think now the reason i say we think um is because we've only got 36 days at time of recording until um gotham is broadcast in the u.s it's um, coming i know we're getting very close which means we're a normal schedule is about once every two weeks we put up a put up an episode so we've got only two episodes to go really before yeah uh, hopefully We'll also get to see the episode pretty quickly after uh, after the US, but um, but we only really have two episodes to record until the show launches, and we've got another twelve issues of uh, Gotham Central to cover, which is quite a lot. And we've also got to uh, switch off the lights on Zero Year and turn on the lights on uh, Gotham Year One, um, which is uh, which is when we rebrand, I suppose. <laughs> it's really exciting. I mean. We both can't wait for this series to start so we can start to get into the the flesh and the substance of what this show potentially can deliver. 
So thank you all for joining us. Yeah, thank you for listening. Really enjoyed um, discussing these series of comics. And if you want to provide any feedback on what we've discussed uh, today, please feel free to do so. You can do that through Gmail at gothamtvpodcast at gmail.com. You can do it through our website, gothamtvpodcast.com, or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, if you wish to, as well, and Tumblr. So please... All the handles that are Gotham TV podcast. Yep. If you search for them, you'll find us. Just and go. we can't wait to hear from you. Yeah. Just go join us on Google Plus as well. We'll, we'll post stories up on there again. Gotham TV podcast. We're pretty much everywhere at the moment. Uh, lots of great discussions out there with uh, with Gotham Addicts and with Fox Gotham fans, with loads of people who are really interested in the show. Lots of the cast talking about the show on Twitter. Really great, really great resource to chat to a lot of them over there. They're really, uh, really friendly people. And, um, Obviously, if you're listening to us on iTunes, it'd be great to, to uh, for you to rate us uh, on, on iTunes. It allows people to find us. Um, subscribe to the show. You'll get your new episodes delivered to you uh, as we release them. Um, we're also available on Stitcher. We're also on uh, any of the podcast catchers. You may be listening to us through our website as well. But, uh, but yeah, thanks so much for listening. Yeah, thanks again. And we'll talk to you very soon. However dark and scary the world might be right now, there will be light. There will be light. <laughs> two different people to write two different com- two completely different scripts two different people to write two completely different scripts and they'll choose which one is best to go forward with for the film so it's almost like an aquaman battle two royale people to write two completely different scripts <laughs> shut up that was me doing myself <laughs> editing Fight! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How can you get excited about an untitled date? I know, especially for All it means, nine of them. The only thing you can go is that, oh, well, they're committed, but we knew that anyway, because Marvel's on its tenth film, and talk about Phase 3, and DC, I mean, you know, people make it sound as though these Superman and Batman franchises have only just started. I know. They, I don't. Un- I just don't understand the the kind of debate around it. it. It to me, it's pure. Like Batman's just come off of a trilogy that made a billion per uh-huh. film uh-huh. at the box office. I know people are so angry. And Batman, <laughs> you're so angry. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not angry about it. I don't understand the comment. Ooh, this is a real risk. What? The Batman is there. Okay, yes, it's got Superman in it. But actually, you know, again, Man of Steel, what, 800 plus million? Okay, maybe, like, okay, if we're saying now that success is deemed by, you know, like, by it not reaching a billion, well, then the movie industry. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. <laughs> and then the final aspect of that is they go, oh, well, Marvel just doesn't take any chances. It doesn't kill off any characters. And then you have Superman killing someone. Oh, well, that's. Uh, like, uh, make your mind up. I know. Nerds. <laughs> no, I don't even think it's the nerds, Derek. I think it's the <laughs> reporters on. <laughs> so I'd like to thank DC Comics who are uh, also in the chance of winning the Matthew Fletcher painting for getting John and myself arguing again <laughs> well that's all working <laughs>